And I hope that this message this morning will be certainly encouraging to you, as it has been to me, and studying it. Uh, as we've been going through each week, we've been reading about five chapters a week. And so this week, we should be reading Acts 22 to 28. So it is more than five chapters this week. It's seven. but Some of those are, are shorter. But I think you'll find them very edifying and, and helpful for us. As we're looking throughout the book of Acts, what stands out there is the spread of the church, the spread of the gospel throughout all the world. And when we come down to the end of Acts, we have Paul in Rome. And as our scripture reading revealed to us this morning, Paul was there for two years under house arrest, still preaching the gospel, still having many people coming to him and proclaiming the gospel there toward the end of his life. And now what we know about history from Paul, he'll probably live another three to five years before he will be uh, executed under the hand of Nero. But we see great victory in the church. We see wonderful things that take place in the spread of the gospel truth. And so one thing that stands out throughout the book of Acts is the need for us to be able to teach the gospel, to be able to speak to others, to tell others why we were saved and, and the great hope and blessing that comes from our, our Christian faith. Those are amazing things that we certainly do not want to to overlook. And I hope that we think about that this morning as we consider what Paul has done. We need to think about as Christians what we offer the world. What do we believe? Where do we stand? What do we stand for? Whether we're at home or whether we're visiting with family from travels or when the holidays are coming up. We spend time with them, things that we would say, how we would influence others. What do we say to our friends? Do we, do we talk to our friends? Do we, do we say, well, that, that's not kind of friendship we have, that we discuss our faith or what we believe about God or some fundamental things that we think about life. But I hope that we do. I don't see how we can live a life where we would escape that, escape or, or get away from talking to others about what we believe and where our hope is. You know, and what we as Christians, what we've been given from God and from Christ and what we would offer to them. And I know that in many ways some have thought about um, our, uh, what do we do with our faith in the workplace? Now, most of the times today we're being told, well, we're, we're treating our country like it's a secular country. As though you shouldn't speak your religion, which seems very contrary to what our country was founded about for and on the purpose of giving that and securing that right of speaking what we believe. And yes, if you do speak wherever you work, about God, and whether you do it at school, you should be thoughtful about what you're going to say. And if you stick to the basic gospel, the hope that we have, and if you think about the things that we've blessed to have as a country, our rights, the freedoms, and that they're based on, equality is based on the fact that we are created by our Creator, those are things that should never be removed from the schools in the United States, period. That thought, that, those things that we talk about. In the workplace, there'd be no reason why that should be offensive. And if it is, the offense should be on our part. Why would we undermine the whole reason we have rights in the first place? And that's what happens when you take away God, all of a sudden rights is dependent upon this personal opinion of the individual and what society and government says your rights are. What you believe, where we stand and what we do. That's the only thing that's left. If God is not the foundation, the basis for what we believe and what we hope in, we've lost it all. 
And I hope that we think about that. This is where we stand and be able to think and, and express in very kind words what, what we believe as Christians, what we're offering to the world. If we can't talk about God, if we can't talk about the gospel, we can't talk about Jesus in the workplace or school or with our family and friends, what are we talking about it? That, that seems to eliminate almost everything. What are we doing? Posting it on Facebook? Is that it? That'd be a sad state. And so I hope that we reflect about how we are sharing our faith with others and discussing it. And I hope that there's not a place in our life that we're not restricted in talking about Jesus. When we get into the book of Acts and we begin reading, we begin seeing some great details here in, in regards to Jesus Christ and, and the spread of the gospel. Here's one thing that stands to me is that here in Acts chapter 24, what we're about to read here is we find Paul here guilty of preaching hope. There are some people that didn't want him preaching hope. They're offended by it. And that very much is what is happening today. And so here Paul, as a Roman citizen, is standing before the, the Roman governor, Felix, who is over uh, that area, not just Caesarea, but over Judea. And Paul stands before him and he says, I'm being brought to court here by the temple priest, by the high priest. I'm being put on trial. They want me to be put to death. That was their objective in Acts chapter 21 and 22, is they wanted Paul dead when they found him there near the, temp found him there, there near the temple. Read with me over in Acts 24, and then we're going to draw some observations from it. We're just going to look at verses 10 through 15 right now. I encourage you, if you want to, go on and read 10 down to 21. But let's look at 10 through 15. Paul says this, and he says, And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. He says, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. So you have Felix, who would be the successor, one of the successors of Pontius Pilate. And here Paul is honoring him, respecting him, even though he would not have the same beliefs as Paul does. He respects the governing authorities. The Bible tells us to do that. We should do the same. Look at verse 11. He says, You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you that they now, what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, notice that, but according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. You can't escape that in the book of Acts. You can't escape, again, Paul continually preaching the belief, looking forward to the resurrection. And him speaking here, the resurrection and the, of the just, the unjust. Now back in chapter 23, Paul stands before the Supreme Court of uh, the Jews there in Judea. And there's a great conflict there as he speaks to them. And he t speaks to them about the resurrection and the whole assembly is divided because the Pharisees believed in it and the Sadducees did not. Here's some observations of what we've just read here 
in Acts chapter 24. The Christian faith is built on the law and the prophets. In our teenage class this morning, we looked at some scriptures that emphasize how much we need to read the Old Testament, know what the Old Testament says. What we believe about Jesus is built on those things, those predictions on that law, and it is a good thing. Another thing we see here as is referred to that the Christian faith even though the Jews here were saying it was a sect, it was known as the way. It was the road. It was the pathway. The Christianity is a journey and a way that which we live our whole entire life, that we commit ourselves to Christ. And Paul says, I believe everything about the law and the prophets. This is what my faith is built on. And then he says, he talks about the Christian hope. Christians hope in a certain and absolute hope. A hope in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection on the last day, which many false teachers even challenge today. And yet Paul proclaimed it openly. He said, this is why I'm on trial. This is what I confess. So I want us to think about this morning as we look at what Paul does, how he speaks as he stands before others while he is on trial. How do we speak? How do we defend the faith? How do we proclaim the truth? Because the Christian faith is built on the law of the prophets, I ask you this morning, how well do you know the Old Testament? Have you read the Old Testament? Have you read the Scriptures? Have you read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Have you read Isaiah? Have you read the Psalms? Those are amazing books. They have great benefit for us to reflect upon what God had to say to Israel and what we are to learn from those passages today. Our faith stands on that. But the problem I think we see today, and it stands out throughout the book of Acts, is why does Paul talk so much about the resurrection? How many Christians talk as much as Paul did about the hope of the resurrection? Usually when we talk about the gospel with somebody else, we talk about Jesus, we talk about his death, his burial and resurrection, we talk about grace, we talk about his mercy and forgiveness, and those are great things. And the apostles and prophets definitely taught those things. But throughout the book of Acts, this is what stands out. As Paul teaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he teaches the effect. Why is it that Jesus rose to the dead? Because he is the righteous one. He is without sin. He is God come in the flesh. His words are without fault. There's no error in what he says. His words are all sufficient. They're all truth. They're everything that we need to be built up. And all of that comes from the basis of having a hope in the resurrection. It is the center, the very core of the Christian faith and everything that we believe in, in theology. And so when we think about how am I going to share the gospel with others? Well, I'm going to start with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when I share them of what, what hope I have, what am I going to tell them? I have hope of eternal life. And what eternal life? Well, I'm, I'm, Am I going to say, I just think that when I die, I'm going to float up into heaven and be there at the right hand of God, and I don't know any other details? Do I not know what the Scriptures have to say? Do I know what, do I know what the hope is on the last day? Is? Can I, can I tell others about that? I hope so. I need to be able to defend the hope. So Paul defended his hope before the accusations of the Jewish leaders. And we read this in Acts chapter 24. He says, Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this, one thing I cried out while standing among them, it is respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. That's where Paul stood. This is what he proclaimed. I encourage you, brethren, read 2 Peter chapter 3. Read Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25. In fact, I think the opportunity is going to be right in front of me for the next two weeks as we go through First and Second Thessalonians. 
Well, we read those texts and we get a better understanding of what is going to happen when Christ comes back. A few Christians today have any hope in God. In fact, I'll put it like this. I was reading an article this week in a a study about what people want to hear, what sermons they want to hear the most in the congregation. They're often the most controversial. They want to hear about where God fits in with government and church and state. They want to hear about abortion. They want to hear about what the the government has to do with, with poverty. And those are some of the top things that are on that list kind of surprising to me. But they all seem to be very, very political. And they all have to do with what does my faith and belief in God, how does it play into my life right now and how does it affect politics and government? That seems very peculiar to me. When I read the Scriptures, I have a message here that changes everything about me. It changes my mind. It changes my heart. It changes my way of life. It changes the way I view marriage. It it affects my friends, my family, and the influence spreads out. If I want to affect society and culture around me for the better, if I want to help decrease poverty and single-parent homes, what can I do? But the best thing I can do is proclaim Jesus, preach the truth of the Scriptures. The number one cause of those problems that we see in society today is because people don't know God, and they don't know Jesus, and they have no close relationship with Him, and they don't read the Scriptures. They have no hope in Him. And we've got to be able to proclaim that and teach that. We look at all the things that... I turn the TV on, I see controversies, and I can't believe one side versus the other many times. I just say, okay, we'll see how this goes. The only answer I see is that me as a Christian, and I see Paul here, Paul is not running for Caesar. You know, he's not going around bidding him not. I don't see any of the apostles doing that. I don't see Jesus doing that. I see them teaching the gospel that changes the world, that forms a spiritual nation that is the church, where its mission is to tell the good news of others, to tell about God's love and His grace and His forgiveness and the hope of eternal life, and to warn people about God's just wrath as well. A lot of things that we don't many times understand today. We're not, we don't have the ability to defend our own hope in the gospel, and that's a sad thing. A lot of questions that we ask, if we would open our Bibles and we'd study some of these scriptures, it would make all the difference. Now, I want you to look at this. In Acts chapter 28, in the end, so this week I was wrestling, should I preach Acts 24 or should I preach Acts 28? In the end, I thought, well, I'll just preach both of them. But they come together very well. As we get to the end of Acts 28, I want you to notice this. What has happened? This was a part of our reading this morning. So this is the end of the book of Acts. We've been reading through it. Go with me to the end of Acts, chapter 28, 23 and following. And we have Paul here in Rome. And it says this in verse 23, And when they had appointed a day for him, Paul has made connections with the Jewish leaders. They came to him in his lodgings in great numbers. From morning till evening he expanded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Here, Paul doesn't stop. Even at the end of his life, he's proclaiming the same gospel, teaching the same message, and he's building it on the law and the prophets. It says some of them were convinced and others were not. They disbelieved in in verse 24. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed from Paul. And Paul made a statement to them. And I think this is a statement to to say to the world today. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. 
And Paul says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Here's the Holy Spirit speaking by the prophet Isaiah. He says this, look at verse 26. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. This is the world very much today. They hear the gospel and they don't understand it. They don't perceive it. They don't allow it to affect their heart. Look at verse 27. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they could see with their eyes and hear with their, ear, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. Look at verse 28. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. It's been sent to the nations. They will listen. And verse 30 and 31, as we conclude, and he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I hope that when we read the Bible, we see the application of it. Because I can stand up here and try to make application for every individual in here, and and I can't. You, You need to listen, and we all do this, when we read and we listen to Scripture, and find a way. How am I going to share this with others? How am I going to share the gospel? This is what I, I read when I look at Acts 28. I see few Christians take joy in knowing the law and the prophets so they don't study it. Few talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God. We see a world that is dull in heart and does not understand and does not perceive. And few Christians are willing to welcome all other people to hear the gospel. But Paul did everything the opposite of those things. And I hope that his example encourages us this morning. I encourage you, looking at these passages, Acts 24, Acts 28 this morning, don't be quiet about your hope, what you believe. Learn to defend your hope in God. Read the Scriptures. The apostles and the evangelists, they shared an absolute hope in God for eternal life. I love the statement here by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the Christian hope right there. Can I say that? When I share that with others, I thank God. Because why? Because He is sent Jesus. I've been born again to a living hope. Jesus rose from the dead so that I can have eternal life that will never perish. It will never be defiled. It is unfading and it is kept for me. And I have all confidence in that. So I encourage you this morning. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm questioning. As we're looking through the book of Acts, we see all this evangelism. We see the gospel spreading. And I hope that we as the church are, are willing, thinking about how we're going to share the gospel with others. In the workplace, at school, with our friends, with our family, wherever we are, look for it. Be able to defend your hope. I love the words of Jesus here. They're always encouraging and challenging to me. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you're not gathering, you're doing what? Here's the mission and purpose of the church. God wants a holy people. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. He's talking about the church. A people for His own possession that you may do what? To proclaim the excellencies of Him. That's God who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what we're here for, to glorify God, to tell others, to proclaim the truth. 
And it should be a part of every part of our life. It should be on our tongues as we confess what we believe. We should be able to defend the hope. Listen to what Peter says. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. We defend the hope. We proclaim the hope of eternal life. And he says, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. We need to be mindful on how we do that. Think about that this morning. I want to encourage anybody here who's, who's here who's never been baptized into Christ. You've not been united with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, with his forgiving, forgiveness and his, his love until you have been baptized. You conform to the death and resurrection by dying to your sins after confessing that Jesus rose from the dead. Then you're buried in baptism and you rise in the newness of life. It's right there in Romans 6 and verse 4. I can't change it. I can't alter it. That's what God said. The Bible says baptism saves. This is the gospel. This is the hope which we preach. This morning, you need to obey the gospel. You haven't been baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins. You need to do that. You need prayers and encouragement. You want to study more. We want to do that. You can come forward or talk to us at any time. We'd be happy to do that with you. Whatever your needs are, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing.